The views, ideas, and content of well seekers and their guests are their own opinions, and you should always seek additional professional help around any of the issues discussed here on Well Seekers. Hello, and welcome to Well Seekers, where we are helping you rise and come back in life and in love, form a better relationship with yourself and the people, places, and things that you care about most in this world. My name's Lucia, and I am so honored to be here with you today to offer some conversation, some stories, and some solutions on how, on this six-part series, we can rise and come back from anxiety and depression. We've talked about anxiety and depression in caretakers, which is a wide population. We're going to be talking about anxiety and depression in men next week. We've talked about some of the correlations from a holistic approach in food and mood. This week, we are talking about young adults and the millennial generation in particular when it comes to mental health, anxiety, and depression. One of the reasons I thought this podcast was going to be so important was I read a recent article in Business Insider that talked about studies being done on the state of millennials and mental health in general. And their direct quote was, 2020 is looking grim for millennials. Mainly, that is because depression and something that we'll talk to our guests about, deaths of despair, that's deaths that are related to hopelessness, so suicide, drugs, alcohol-related deaths, those are on the rise. And a lot of that comes from loneliness, the epidemic of being connected but not really connected, truly connected, money stressors, burnout in the workplace, and burnout in personal lives. And millennials are really facing the majority of these challenges. What I find interesting is even though the millennial population has, from a society point of view, destigmatized mental illness and emotional issues and health issues, they still face the greatest challenges and the greatest amount of them. There was a study done by a Pew Research Center talking about this generation. And like I said, they said that loneliness is a huge factor contributing to depression among the millennial population. Now, technically, I am a millennial, but I am just on the cusp of it. So I have always related to Gen X a little bit more. I'm part millennial, part Gen X. That's what I think is referred to as Xennial or I know is referred to as Xennial. So I do relate to some of the aspect millennials are facing and some of the situations millennials have been put through, specifically 10 years ago, the depression that was considered worse than the Great Depression. That's going to have a mental, emotional effect on the millennial generation. One of the scariest, I thought, reports and research studies that I, I read was done by Blue Cross Blue Shield. And they found that millennials without proper management or treatment could see a 40% uptick in mortality compared to Gen Xers of the same age. And that was just heartbreaking to me. That's the state of the generation that's coming up and that we're really relying on. One of those reasons, like I said previously, was depression. How can we help start this conversation? How can we help this generation deal with depression, deal with anxiety, find out what is contributing to it and really provide some solutions? That's what most concerns me and what I'm focused on and why I think this show today is so important. I can say from professional experience, it's out there. It's, there is an increase. I can say from a personal experience, I relate to times in my life where I've suffered not so much from anxiety as much as depression. So I can relate on a personal level as well. Our guest today is Sarah Kubarek. She is going to be coming on. She is known as the millennial therapist. So I thought she would be the best person to help 
um, have a conversation about this topic, what we can do, what are some of the signs and symptoms that you may be experiencing or a loved one may be experiencing, and how can we help you and help our society um, become healthier and make this a downtick in mortality and not an uptick. We're going to be taking it all on. It's a big conversation, a big topic, and we are so glad that you're having it with us here at Wellseekers. So stick around. We'll be right back with our guest right here on Wellseekers. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. You're listening to Wellseekers, a show where the journey is just as important as the destination. And we're back on Wellseekers with our guest, Sarah Kubarek. Sarah is joining us right now from Jordan, but um, Sarah is a Canadian certified counselor. She's a trauma-informed clinician with a person-centered approach that's grounded in existential analysis as well as somatic and experiential techniques. Sarah, welcome to the show. I, I love that you do somatic techniques because we talk a lot about mind-body connection here at Wellseekers. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I think it's such an important component to having holistic care even for psychology. So um, trying to incorporate the body, I think, can be really healing for the mind. Sarah, before we get started on our topic today, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field, why you got into this field? And I'd love to hear more too about, because I'm a believer in the holistic approach. I just think you can't separate the mind and the body. They're too interconnected, especially with the intrinsic nervous system and the gut mind connection is fascinating to me and getting a lot of research and attention here, at least in the States. So I'd love to hear more about your experience and the connections you found. Yeah, that's a very interesting question that I get asked a lot. And the answer is I always just knew that that's what I was going to do. So there isn't necessarily a moment where I was like, I'm going to be a a psychologist. Since I grew up in Serbia, I was born in Serbia. I lived through about two wars by the age of nine. And I think this fascination regarding human suffering and human nature was planted at a very young age. And so I have no cognitive recollection of being like, I'm going to be a therapist. It was just something I always knew I wanted to do. And I think just my life story and kind of background really led me to that and my passion to help people and understand people and alleviate any suffering that I could. So Mm. that's a bit of the background of why I became a therapist. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I feel like people get into the field for that reason or Sometimes people get in the field to fix themselves, unfortunately. Um, But so how did you get drawn to the somatic approach? Yeah, I think as a trauma-informed therapist, it becomes, at least to me, it becomes a bit more obvious that there is a body-mind connection, especially like the books such as The Body Keeps Score really talks about that extensively. And I think that seeing clients, just the way that they would even sit in, in sessions, for example, just hold so much tension in their body or relax when there was a breakthrough um, or a sense of safety. And so I think just noticing 
human behavior and body language at the start before I was really aware of it helped me become more motivated to start exploring that field a bit more, um, getting more education in it, um, and just incorporating it in my own practice. And you predominantly work with obviously um, trauma, right? That's your specialty. Um, that's <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah, I work with trauma, but I would say I work with relational trauma primarily at this time. I work with a lot of identity and relationship traumas. I wouldn't say that I work with, you know, war traumas um, at this time. And I don't work with um, severe traumas very often. And that's because I transitioned out of that as I transitioned into online therapy. And there's definitely different ethical standards I I hold when I'm doing online therapy. And I just don't know if it's a safe enough environment for me to be working with severe traumas. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a question about online therapy before we launch into the topic, too, sure. but it actually pertains to the topic. I know that trauma is one of those things that absolutely, I think, you have to draw an ethical boundary with online therapy and some traumas. Of course. But what is your experience like if someone is looking into doing therapy online versus practicing in person? I've done both. I actually prefer online. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. what what is your experience both as a, a clinician and if someone is out there thinking they want to explore online therapy, any advice for them? That's a great question. Um, I don't see any difference when it comes to efficacy as a clinician. I feel that it's as natural as sitting across from someone in a room. Um, Depending on the demographic, I almost feel like it might be more natural. So for instance, I work with millennials and considering most of our interactions are online, I, I would guess a lot of millennials actually feel more comfortable doing therapy online as well. Mm. I think that doing online therapy can increase accessibility and comfort. However, I do think it's important to know what you want to deal with in therapy. So if it is severe trauma, if you are suicidal, if you're dealing with, I don't know, severe personality disorders, those are the types of things that I perhaps wouldn't feel comfortable offering online. And I'm not speaking for every clinician out there, Um, but it depends on the severity. And if you feel that you need that safety, of having someone personally in the room with you, that's something that um, online therapy couldn't do. And so I always just tell individuals who are looking for therapy, you know, you could do a free consultation with both. Um, shop around. Shopping for a right therapist, for the right mode of therapy is so important. And so don't limit yourself and test it out and then see what fits for you. Absolutely. Great advice. So we have been talking, Sarah, before you came on about young adults and depression and anxiety as we work our way through a total series here, examining depression and anxiety in a deeper level. From your experience working with young adults, do you see an increase, especially over the last decade of clients coming in with these symptoms, especially in the young adult area? That's a very difficult question to answer because I'm not sure if there was an increase or if the current generation or specifically millennials are just talking about it for the first time. Mm. That language is more accessible to us. And we're being maybe a bit more proactive about destigmatizing mental health. And I'm not sure if that vocality of it is making it seem like there's more of it, when in reality, other generations have struggled just as much. And so I think that that's what makes it really difficult to discern 
is there an actual increase or is it just more noted now? Um, there are more statistics about it. People are talking about it. People are self-identifying as having it. Um, and so this is where I really struggle and shy away from saying, yeah, there is more depression and anxiety now than ever before, because I'm not really sure we're in a position where we can concretely compare. I think that, and I've read a, just in the States here, in the last few years, there's been a 33% uptick in deaths of despair, which mm-hmm. I, if you're not familiar with that term, it essentially means suicide, hopelessness, yeah. alcohol, drugs. Um, so I feel like there has been a substantial up, uptick, but I understand what you're saying as far as we're, especially the millennial generation is so used to saying, oh, my therapist, as opposed to I'm on the cusp of millennial. I'm considered millennial, but I feel like I'm more not millennial because <laughs> I'm on the other end. And growing up, it was not as open of a conversation about mental health. Or if you had a therapist, no one said it. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so there definitely is a more open environment around mental and emotional health, which is I love that trend, Mm -hmm. but it still seems like there is an uptick in anxiety and depression. And there's so much research being started now around the effects of social media. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's increase in suicide. (laughs) And I am so aware of this. I just really shy away from being like, yes, this is plain black and white, but I 100% agree with you. And I do think it is an issue. Depression, suicide, there is some leeway there of like the vocabulary is changing and it's becoming more okay to talk about it. What are some of the things that you think in 2020 contribute to anxiety and depression for young adults? It could be new or it could just be in general. What generally for that population contributes to anxiety and depression? Mm -hmm. So, of course, you already touched on a very, very important one, which is social media. I think lack of boundaries around social media can make social media an extremely toxic thing for young adults. Um, There's a lot of comparison culture. There is a lot of bullying. (laughs) There is just lack of being grounded in reality of what people's lives are actually like, a sense of dishonesty, I would guess. And then also just unrealistic expectations that come with it. So I think that social media can be a wonderful thing that connects people, provides free information, um, but it can also really be detrimental to mental health if there aren't the right parameters or boundaries around it. I also think that, you know, the millennial generation has a lot of stresses and expectations placed on them. And I'm not saying that there's more than previous generations. They're just different. And I think our landscape, our societal landscape is changing so quickly with technology that it's really hard for them to maybe keep up. They're the ones developing it, but now they also have to change the almost the societal norm that goes with it. And they can't really look at past generations to see how they dealt with it because they did it. Mm. And so I think that we are a very innovative generation, but I think with that comes a really big adjustment and transition. And so the expectations are really high. You no longer should have a good job that pays well, but it should be a job that other people want. And it should allow you to travel the world and it should be very hip and different. And you should be able to, you know, do it from Hawaii. Like it's just, it's not enough just to have a stable job anymore. And so these expectations and ability to see the rest of the world and what everyone else is doing, it's actually, I think, increasing what people think they should be doing. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced that in my own work, seeing 
the young adults basically saying, well, I need to have a ton of free time and make six figures in the next year. And also I don't want to work more than four hours a day. It's like, there's so much contradiction coming from that generation because they're getting all those mixed messages and they're like, well, this is what it should look like. And it's like, actually all of these things don't go together. But if you're spending a lot of time on Instagram and Twitter, you may think that this is what life is supposed to be like, but it's not. I've coined this phrase, unrealistic emotional expectations. I think we have unrealistic emotional expectations on this generation, unrealistic lifestyle expectations. Yeah. There, There's just unrealistic expectations in every holistic health um, perspective, I feel like. Absolutely. But what makes it worse is that this generation almost has the potential of achieving it. Past generations couldn't have worked for hours a day in Hawaii and made a hundred grand. That wouldn't have been possible for them. And I'm not saying it's realistic now, but it's more realistic now. And I think that's where the self-deceit almost comes, or it really solidifies these unrealistic expectations because we almost feel like we can actually have it. Yeah. And I'm so curious though, to see what happens to those more traditional jobs. Mm. I've read articles before. There was a very interesting article I read about the law profession here in the States. And it was talking about how lawyers are almost a dying breed right now because no one wants to put the work in to be a good good lawyer. So I'm, I'm so curious to see what it does to other professions that typically require a lot of, you know, putting your head down and working 12 hours a day. So it's, it's really fascinating. Um, I just think we're overcorrecting potentially, you know, and that happens. We just swing to an extreme till it kind of comes back into the middle. And so I would, I don't know, I, I suppose some people will want to go back and do that and see the value in that soon. But I think because that was what you should do for the generation prior, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should have a job that's nine to five and buy a house now that's being rejected. And I think eventually people will find value in that again um, and kind of come off the extreme that is now trendy. Absolutely. I think Gen Z may head that way. I just have this feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Sarah, talking about this population, if someone's listening or maybe a parent's listening and they're thinking my son, daughter, friend, significant other is depressed or potentially anxious. This is also the age where you're just starting to realize it's a thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. that you may Mm -hmm. actually have depression or you may have anxiety as you come into adulthood before it's just teenage angst or you're still going through really major developmental milestones. If someone's in this young adult population and they're questioning whether they have depression or maybe they have anxiety, what are some of the signs and symptoms that you generally see? So there are quite a few like overlapping symptoms from anxiety and depression, such as irritability, for example, or um, intolerance of other people. Sometimes concentration is difficult in both cases. For depression specifically, seeing just low mood and sadness, that's a really great one. Or things that, you know, your, your kid or your colleague or your friend used to be really interested in, um, and they're no longer interested in, that's a great indication that they might be suffering from, you know, a symptom of depression or depression, low self-esteem. And then with anxiety, it's it's a lot of worrying. So if you hear them speaking about the same things over and over again, 
sleep disturbances, that can all indicate a sense of anxiety. Obviously, if they're getting attacks, they might describe to you that their heart is racing or that their palms are sweaty. And so if you hear any of those things, it might be great to be curious about it, get them to be curious about it and see if maybe they're just experiencing some symptoms or if it is severe enough that it would be an actual diagnosis. How would you approach a conversation with them or what should you do to support them? Or if you're the client, what should you do now that you've gathered this information? I think an attitude of just openness and gentleness is so important and curiosity. Um, Being curious what that means for you or what that means for your friend Um, and coming from a very gentle spot. um, I think we're quick to diagnose or quick to put people in little categories where they can feel a lot of shame um, or put ourselves in the category where we might feel a bit of shame or some stigma. And so I think just being really gentle about it and seeing what do I need right now? Because ultimately that's what it's about is having you be taken care of and having your needs being fulfilled. So if you go, you know, I actually don't know what to do right now, then maybe it's time to talk to a therapist. Or maybe if you're anxious, you'll go, I just need to become more mindful in touch with my body. Then maybe you want to try yoga. And so I think it's really, if you're someone who's supporting um, a child or a colleague or a friend is asking them what they need, how you can support them, uh, maybe giving them some suggestions, some resources. And then if you're the individuals who's actually grappling with this, asking yourself the same questions. I'm also a big believer in preventative care. I don't know if you feel like Mm -hmm. that as well, but I always say you can get off the elevator at any time. So you don't need to let it drop to the basement Mm -hmm. with your symptoms and signs. Like if you have mild depression or you're noticing, I am withdrawing just a little bit or something's off a little bit, going to a therapist and checking in, even doing a handful of sessions and then, you know, getting back on your road, getting back on the elevator up instead of headed down. I think we don't, especially here in the States, don't put a focus on preventative care. It's so focused Mm -hmm. on diagnosis and giving the worst diagnosis possible to get things covered. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that if you are experiencing even some shift, go check in Mm -hmm. with someone and seek extra support. It can be so beneficial in the long run. Oh yeah. That's such great advice. Absolutely. And even if you don't feel like there's something clinically wrong with you or people dismiss your concerns. I mean, it's really such, it's such a great opportunity to even just explore yourself. And as you said, prevent anything that might be building up inside of you. Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah, I actually have one more question before we let you go. We talk a lot about how um, there are, you know, the top 10 healthiest countries in the world and the U.S. unfortunately is not on that list. It's about 35th. Mm -hmm. And you have an international perspective. In all of your experience and traveling and the clients you've worked with, when you think of what makes a society healthy, which I feel like translates down to the individual level, the micro level. So Mm -hmm. what holistically makes a person healthy and what holistically makes a society healthy? Does anything come to mind for you for both of those? Yeah. Um, I think about this a lot just because different countries give you very different feels. So, you know, when I travel to Italy, for example, I'm almost always relaxed, mm-hmm. even if I'm working. And I think uh, from just talking to friends and colleagues, what the society or the individuals, as you said, prioritize in that culture, what is the value in that culture? I think for a lot of cultures in which I feel more relaxed and more centered, the priority is generally community. 
it's it's connection it's good food and even something as basic of of wanting good food generally equates to healthier food or you know locally grown food um and so that makes a very big difference for obviously our bodies but i think it really does come down to what does the individual or just society prioritize and what are their values that really shapes the culture it's such a great perspective and absolutely that's what we've learned here is that it does have to do with values and individually, where do we put our values, right? Do we put it in holistic health perspective or is it on money and income? Um, and what attributes are we putting that a focus is, yeah. on? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for, for being on our show and taking the time. If people want to follow you or find you on social, can you give your social media links and your website? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is millennial.therapist. My website is just my name. So Sarah Kubrick and that's it. I have nothing else. (laughs) Sarah Kubrick. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll put all her links below so you can easily click on them and find Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. I'm all seekers. After a long day, taking time to love yourself and your friends and your family more well can be a challenge. We're so burnt out and exhausted and stressed from working so hard during the day, we forget to love the people and the places and the things that are important to us. Well, Lucia Knight is here to help. We're gonna be a retreat and a treat for your day. A place to laugh, to connect, and to learn to love yourself and others more well. We're gonna talk about relationships, ways to sleep better. We'll have expert guests, personal stories, maybe even a musical guest or two. We'll share behind the scenes into my own life as well, my friends, my family, and of course, my relationships. So close the door on your day and light up your night with Lucia at night. Also, make sure to check out more at wellseekers.com for simple and real life ways to bring wellness home. I'll see you tonight on Lucia at Night. Thanks for being part of the Seekerhood. We couldn't do this without you. Now, back to the show. Thanks so much again to our guest, Sarah Kubarek, for coming on. Just a great conversation. And one of the things she talked about was how expectations are changing on lifestyle expectations. And I think I mentioned that as well. And one of the things we like to do here at Wellseekers is offer ways to add a holistic health perspective to your lifestyle. And if you listen to the show, you know I try to offer a tool as well as solutions every week. This week's tool is from our Back to Basics box, which is the box that launched Wellseekers Box Club. That tool, if you go to wellseekers.com, you click under tools, you can check out all our past boxes, but also those featured tools. And again, if you order the features tools, I'm not endorsing them other than I use them. But there are these moist towels that are aromatherapy towels. Really affordable, really easy. And I have to say, when I'm feeling stressed out, um, or even when I'm feeling a little bit down, a little bit blah, I keep these towels everywhere. They're in my car, they're in my home, I've given them to people I love, and the response to them is 
is the same. Really, sometimes we just need to physically wash things off of us. And this helps that act of washing off your day or washing off a bad moment, or if I have a bad feeling, or if I have a bad thought, and I can physically take a different action to help me think differently. This is one of the actions I take, which is grabbing one of these towels, aromatherapy scented towels. The ones I like are on the site at wellseekers.com. I use them because they're affordable and because they're great and because I can wash them and reuse them. Really, truly any sort of aromatherapy towel, just to take that action to wipe off a moment that wasn't very good for you or to wipe off a day and to start over. We can start our day over at any time. I don't care if it's 930 at night, um, you can start your day over. So it just always gives me an opportunity to reset. And I love to pass on tools to help you reset and to add a little bit of happiness and lightness and brightness and joy to your day. So you can check those out at wellseekers.com if you're not listening, if you're listening in another avenue. So before we let you go, I just want to say that if you are listening to this series and missed any of them, you can go to wellseekers.com, click on the talk tab and hit Well Seekers with Lucia and you can get the rest of the shows from this series. Thank you so much to everyone who's joined us so far. We've had and are having just fascinating conversations on how to reduce stress and anxiety and depression for lots of different people, for caretakers, for millennials, for men, and also using tools like food, conversations, stories, solutions. That's what we're all about here. So thanks for everyone who's been a part of the series so far. And we are going to continue the conversation next week, focusing on men and depression specifically and how that presents and some different aspects pertaining to that. So make sure you stay tuned. In the meantime, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, hit the RSS feed and you can be first to know when an episode launches. If you do subscribe, you get them a little bit earlier than everyone else. So make sure you check that out and you can follow us across all platforms on social at Wellseekers, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And I hope you'll follow me too at Lucia Naz. L-U-C-I-A-N-A-Z-Z on Instagram and on Facebook at Lucia's page. So hopefully we can be friends there. Um, And if you don't know and didn't hear the commercial earlier, we also have a show focused 100% on relationships and it's done in a more laid back, fun style. It's called Lucia at Night, where we talk about relationships, love, life. A lot of laughter goes on in that show. So we hope that you'll join that family as well. From all of us here at Wellseekers, we know that you have such limited time and we are so honored that you choose to spend it with us. So thanks for listening to the show and being a part of our tribe and most importantly, being a part of my family. So we hope that we will see you next time right here on Wellseekers. How would you like to join the conversation? Email us anytime at hello at wellseekers.com.